we are in the middle of a series about making room for new wine, and we're looking at how we prepare ourselves as individuals and as a church uh, for the new wine of the kingdom, for God to break in in new ways, bring new life into our community, our church, and the communities in which we live. And this week, we're looking at Hearts of Compassion. Uh, in Matthew 9, it says, No one puts new wine in old wineskins, uh, for the old skin will burst in the pressure. And that we want to be new. We want to be made new by Jesus. We want God to do a new thing in our midst. And having a heart of compassion is essential if we're to be used by God. Because we need to bring, and God wants to bring life to those who desperately need it. And, we need, and he wants to use us to achieve all that he has planned for us. Compassion or mercy is at the center of everything that God does. A couple of weeks ago, God, uh, Mikey reminded us, and God too, <laughs> that God has called us into a relationship with him. He's called us just as we are. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay as we are. He wants us to become more like Jesus. And Jesus is at the center of God's plan of compassion for mankind. Uh, and before I go on, I meant to say right at the start of this, I wanted to thank Richard and the worship band, because it's great when you come up to, to preach, and actually the worship band have actually said everything you want to say. <laughs> so with that in mind, we will carry on. The whole of the biblical narrative, the story of the Bible taken as a whole, is of God's love for mankind. He wants a relationship with us. And how through history, uh, men and women have stubbornly, stubbornly resisted God's love and gone their own way. And how through God, through his love, compassion, and mercy, has sought to draw mankind back into relationship with him. In the Old Testament, the English words that are used to translate the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word are, are interchangeable between compassion and mercy. They're used interchangeably, and they're used to describe God's heart and his actions regarding his people. In the New Testament, the word, the word that is translated compassion in English has a sense of being deeply moved, a feeling of deep movement in the bowels, a sense of, the, of, your, of being gut-wrenched, and is always followed up by some action to show God's love. If one verse in the whole of the Bible was used to summarize God's heart of compassion for mankind, it would be this one. John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It starts with God's love. For God so loved the world. He loves the world he created, and he loves people, men and women, he made in his image. Everything God does flows from his heart of compassion. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All of God's actions flow from his compassion. God sent Jesus to the earth, and the whole of Jesus' ministry is marked out by compassion. Compassion for the sick, 
compassion for the demonized, compassion for the bereaved, compassion for the lost and leaderless. Healing the sick, feeding the hungry, giving sight to the blind, bringing good news of the kingdom to those who need to hear it, the lost, the broken, those in need of being set free from guilt and shame. However, God doesn't just want to show compassion to us. He wants us to continue the work that Jesus started and to be compassionate towards others, to have a heart of compassion. The problem is that we naturally don't have hearts of compassion. We have hard hearts. We want to go our own way and reject God's love because it interferes with our independence and autonomy. It's hard, isn't it? We want to do what God wants us to, but there always appear to be things that get in the way. And the whole of the Old Testament narrative tells of how God causes people to follow him and how for a while they do, and then things start to go wrong and things get in the way of following God. God repeatedly sends judges and prophets to call his people back to him so they experience the amazing life he has for them, but in the end, they reject him and his ways. And the prophet Ezekiel tells of God's plans to change their hearts. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols, all the things that get in the way, of us putting God first. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is a God of compassion, and we are made in his image, and we're called to be compassionate, to have hearts of flesh, hearts of compassion. However, as I said, we're not naturally compassionate. In the natural, without the spirit, as the prophet says, we have hearts of stone. Jackie Pullinger, who's a missionary in Hong Kong for over 50 years, says, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble is with so many of us that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Yet by his spirit, God longs to change our hard hearts into soft ones, hearts of flesh compassionate hearts that beat in time with God's heartbeat. So where do we start? The problems of putting God first are not just an Old Testament problem. In the New Testament, most of the letters to the churches and individuals address things and issues that were drawing people away from doing all that God wanted them to. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus to encourage the church to press on into what God has for them because he knows we are in a battle that's worth winning. So he writes in chapter 2, You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God rich in mercy and compassion because of the great love for which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved 
He raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says, remember where you have come from. Remember what God has done for us. Remember where we now sit. Remember our part in it. Remember he has called us for a purpose. Before we knew and accepted Jesus and made him Lord of our lives, we were dead, dead to God, and sin ruled our lives. I can remember being part of a small independent evangelical church back in the day, and one of the features of that church was testimony time. For me, the aim of testimony time appeared to be to see who could share the most shocking sins and how bad they'd been before they were saved. The worse the sin, the bigger the amens, as if God had done more for that person than for you or I. However, whatever our story, whatever, whether we are a reformed axe murderer or gave our lives to Jesus at Sunday school at the age of four, we all needed saving. Even if our lives weren't full of dramatic sins, we were all destined to hell, separated from God and ruled by sinful desires. Every one of us needs needed to be rescued. None of us deserve to be here. But God, in his compassion and mercy for us, even when we were in rebellion to him, chose to make us alive in Christ, to set aside the penalty of sin, to restore our relationship with him through his son and his death on the cross. We now sit with Christ in the heavenly places, just can you picture that? Can you picture what it means to be seated with Christ? Right now, we have access to everything that he has access to, to the Father, to the Spirit, to God's glory. Just picture that. Then realize that it's not because of our worth, the good things we've done in our lives, but because of God's gift. There's nothing we can do to earn our place with God. God has already done it all. God has shown us compassion. He's shown us undeserved mercy. He has made us heirs with Christ, heirs to everything that belong to Jesus. As Paul says in Ephesians 1.8, God has lavished his grace upon us. He's shown us excessive generosity. He's giving us everything. Everything we have is a direct result of God's compassion. And he's done all these things so that we can show his compassion through our lives, live for him, and do the things he has planned for us beforehand. Before even we were born, God has had a plan and purpose for our lives, his plan. Paul knew the importance of knowing these truths, truths about all that God has already done for us. These truths are the starting point for a life lived with Christ. That is why he starts the letters to the Ephesians, stressing this point. 
knowing the truth of what God has done for us, puts us in a place to align our hearts with God's heart of compassion, a heart that is filled with compassion, mercy, and love. That's why we start our services with declarations that declare these truths. That's why I would encourage everyone to be here when we make those declarations. If you're not here when we're making those declarations, you are missing out. Knowing what God has done for us out of his love helps us put our lives and the lives of those we love into perspective. When things go wrong, bad stuff happens, loved one gets sick, we know that God loves us. His love never changes. Even in the deepest, darkest times, God's love is still the same. He loves us. Our relationship and position in Christ does not change because of circumstances, good or bad. Having, the having this confidence in our place in Christ is absolutely vital if we're to withstand the attacks of the enemy and see God achieve all that he has to do through us. God is inviting us to get involved in what he is doing. He invites us to get involved in the things he's got for us to do. He's not saved us, called us to be his sons and daughters so we can go off and do our own thing. He's not gone off asking us to go and make our own plans, do our own thing, and then ask him to bless them. There's nothing we can do apart from God that will give God glory. Knowing and being conscious of what God has done with us helps us to be in a place where we can see what God is doing in the lives of others, see them from his perspective, realizing that he loves them just as he loves us. He's working in their lives just as he is working in ours. However different our li their lives may look from ours, God loves them and he is working in them. Jesus told the crowd a parable in Luke 12 and it went a bit like this. A rich, young, successful eBay seller has a thriving online business and life is good. He surveys his warehouse and decides that in order to take his business to the next level, he needs to build a bigger one. That way he'll make all the money he needs to enjoy early retirement and the fruits of his labors. So he builds a bigger warehouse. It's a truly amazing warehouse, so big, so perfect, more than enough, enough room for his expansion plans. Does God stand back and look at the, amaze, at the warehouse and say, wow, what an amazing warehouse. I'm sure I can find use for that in my kingdom. Well done. <laughs> no, he says, it's so sad. You've wasted your life doing something I didn't ask you to do. Tonight, you will die. And who will get the benefit of your labor? Are we building a bigger warehouse? Are we making plans to do things that God is not calling us to? Convincing ourselves that God really does want to bless our plans. As John 15:5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The hard truth, isn't it? The things we do that God has not initiated have no eternal value whatsoever. Our plans and strategies will count for nothing. 
the harvest is out, yeah, out there. In the past 20 years, there's been something like over 20 church plants in the west end of Glasgow, because that's what uh, the church growth strategist said was the best way to grow churches. But all that's really happened is the same group of Christians has gone from one church to the other. So as one church has grown, the other has shrank. And the churches have failed to reach those who are in desperate need of hearing the good news of the kingdom and having their lives transformed. That's not just in Glasgow, that's in every city in the UK. The harvest remains out there. There are more people in the UK, in Scotland, as births outstrip deaths, yet fewer followers of Jesus. The need is great. It is greater than ever. And we just need to look at the ministry of Jesus to know what God thinks about this. Matthew 9 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Sheep without a shepherd, lost, searching for the truth, looking in all the places where they won't find it, not because they're bad people, but because they're being misled or not led at all. They have no one to guide them to the truth, so they try to find it their own way. The laborers are few. A recent fusion survey amongst adults and students found that 75% of, peop of people who'd never been to church said that, and that's, that's basically the vast majority of the population of the UK have now have never been to church, they said they would go to church if one of their friends invited them. Yet why do we think we'll lose our friends even if we start to talk about Jesus? Jesus' compassion was for the whole person. He healed sick, he cast out demons, he talked and announced the good news of the kingdom, and he created a community of faith to carry on doing all he'd done and more so. Jesus reached the sick and demonized, and today, just as in Jesus' day, there are demonic roots to cause sickness and mental health issues that defy the medical profession. Just come to Storehouse any Saturday to be convinced of that fact. Are we willing to engage in the fight? These three things are essential to see change in people's lives and transformation in the community. The transforming love of Jesus and his kingdom, the power of the kingdom to, for, for deliverance and healing, and the loving compassion and the community of the church. All three are needed. Anyone on their own without the other will be effective. ineffective. Sorry. Showing kindness to a poor man in need, give him food, and you may be able to convince him to pray the sinner's prayer. He will probably mean it at the time, but like the seed that flow, falls on stony ground, left unwatered, it will die or among the weeds, if left untreated, will smother the new life. Prayer for deliverance and the demon may depart, but unless the whole life is swept clean, then it will come back with many more friends and the person's life will be even more troubled. Pray for healing and the person may be made well, but unless they're introduced to the healer and his community, their lives will be little better. Show a person love and give away food without addressing underlying issues in their lives. Their lives will not fundamentally change their situation will remain the same. That's why we started the befriending 
program at Storehouse to build relationships, friendship and community, to pray for healing and deliverance and introduce people to a community of faith. Not because we have a grand plan, but because we saw what God was doing in the lives of these people. So we wanted to join in and follow him. Just as Jesus could only do what he saw the Father doing, God wants us to see what he's doing and get involved. We need to recognize what God is doing. Sitting in front of a man in his late 40s, this is, I, I did this one day at Storehouse. He'd been coming to Storehouse for a long time. His life was a failure. He'd learned to survive by using the system. He's been coming to the food bank for quite some time and his need is still as desperate as it was when he first started to come. He is broken. He has no hope. And as I look at him, as I'd looked at him before, but not felt this, as I look at him, I felt God's compassion. I felt my heart break for this person because I knew that God's heart was breaking too. God loves him. He sent his son to die for him, just as he did, much as he did for you or me. He didn't just need a food bag. He needed to know that God loves him and have his life turned upside down by an encounter with Jesus. God hearts break for him. <clears throat> now the prodigal son had everything and threw it away, but this man had nothing and had known nothing. Is he disqualified because of his choices or life circumstances any more than any one of us? But God doesn't just love food bank users. He loves the extra loud, outwardly self-confident friend of yours whose life you know just as they do is going down the pan as they make yet another questionable choice. He loves the lady at the checkout who doesn't make eye contact because she's inwardly hurting and afraid. He loves the annoying boss, the unreliable colleague, the nosy neighbor, your best friend, your closest pal, your mum, your dad, your troubled teen. Are you willing to join in with what God is doing around you? So what do you see happening around you? Where do you see the signs of God's activity in the lives of the people you know? Are you willing to get to let God, sorry, to, are you willing to get involved and allow God to use you? Jesus' ministry wasn't just about the big event and large crowd. In the midst of weeping for Jerusalem and ministering to the 5,000, Jesus stops to heal the ones and the twos, the blind beggars whom the world has been passing by every day, the woman with menstrual bleeding who touched his coat, the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, one of possibly a hundred cripples at the pool of Bethesda. He saw what his father was doing and he got involved and did them. God is doing things around us all the time. He wants us and is inviting us to get involved in them. He's working in the lives of the people who live and work around us, in our streets, in our schools, in our workplaces, and he invites us to notice what he's doing and respond. Not when I've got time. Not just let me first. Not when I've become, when I've done, when I've completed. You fill in the blanks. He calls us to get involved now when he calls, to drop our plans and pick up his that way he can use you, use me, to work through you and me to achieve his plans, which are so much better 
than his own, our own. He's most likely not asking you to start by coming up with some global strategy or to launch a global outreach ministry, but he is seeking to see if you will respond to the small things, seeing if you have eyes and ears open to see what he's doing, the neighbor with questions of faith, the sick friend, the work colleague in marriage difficulties, the single mom struggling with three kids. You know who God is speaking to you about right now. God is speaking to you right now about people that he's wanting to touch. Not as targets for the gospel, but with eyes of compassion that meet them where they are and to shine God's light and love into their lives. When we see him in action, are we willing to change our plans and make space for his? To drop our to-do list in favor of his? That is what it means to have a heart of compassion rather than a heart of stone. It starts with knowing the amazing truth of what God has done for us. It starts by seeing what God is doing around you, accepting the invitation to get involved and making getting involved in his plans your priority above everything else. Shall we stand?